This is the Office Manager Diaries, a podcast all about the highs and the lows of professionals in office management around the world. We'll delve into their career journeys and diaries where they'll share their stories, tips for success and only things office managers understand. Enjoy and please remember to give us a follow. Hello everybody, it's Hannah Gray back with another episode of the Office Manager Diaries podcast and I'm really pleased today to welcome Stephanie Knox who is the HR and Office Manager for JTalk Limited. Good morning Stephanie. Hi Hannah. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. It's nice to see the sun and a little bit of delayed uh, springtime feeling, isn't it? Definitely. Makes everything seem brighter. It does indeed. It, it cheers us up in our uh, in our gloomy little offices sometimes. So thank you very much for joining me on the Office Manager Diaries. I know you've been listening, I think, to every episode now by the sounds of it. So thank you for being a listener and a follower, but also for giving up some of your precious time to join me on the pod. So can you start, please, by telling me a little bit more about you and your role there at JTalk, how you got into the position and what a typical day looks like for you? There's a lot there, but yeah, (laughs) tell us more, please. As HR and office manager, I am responsible for the day-to-day running of the office. I have the responsibility for the admin team, which is currently four members and about to go up to six. I also do all the day-to-day HR management side. So that's all the absences, recording annual leave requests, dealing with disciplinaries should they arise and organizing all of the office events as well. So that's in a nutshell. I When I first started in this role seven years ago, I actually started as part of the admin team. And within the first six months, the office manager left and the most knowledgeable person on the team left, which left three of us, two who had only been there six months, one who'd been there for 18 months. And we were kind of just left to do our own thing as long as we were issuing orders and getting the things done that we needed to, it was okay. But I decided that actually there was a better way to run the team. So wrote a four page document on how I thought the team should be run and gave it to one of my directors, at which point they asked me to be the manager of the team. And I said, no, I thought the word manager to me had too much responsibility piled onto it. So I said I'd be the team leader because I just didn't. I didn't feel ready for that responsibility and part of me is very much oh no I can't do that and that little voice in your head going no no just don't do it that's that's too much as time went on leading that team growing the team a bit more getting new starters my role did become more managerial but I would never ever accept the title of manager I just I couldn't do it and then in July 2019 I was asked to actually take on the HR side as well which I was really keen on doing because it was something that I'd wanted to do many years ago but had never had the chance partly because of having a family and I didn't really kind of have any set career path at that point so when they asked me to take on the HR side I looked at our local college saw that they ran a course on a Thursday afternoon for the CIPD level three like foundation course and said, can I do this? Will you let me have the time off on a Thursday to go and do it? And very kindly, they actually funded the course for me as well. Within a month of starting that course, we tupid in nine people from another BT local business. 
and then COVID happened. So, and it was at that point taking on the HR side that I actually became the office manager as well and encompassed both sides of the role really. And from there, it's just grown and I keep on adding little bits, delegating stuff away that the team can do. So it's a really, really varied role. There are no two days that are the same, which is quite nice, but there are certain responsibilities that I have to do every day. So with the management of the admin team, it's making sure that they're not snowed under with orders because that's their sole purpose in life is to actually get our sales orders onto the BT system so that they can be provisioned. And then it's picking up any queries and complaints from there and routing them through directly into BT because we can't deal with them. Um, and then it's any HR issues that arise, they need to be dealt with straight away. And then it's the planning of office events. So I'm already looking at Christmas, for which my directors will be having heart failure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's a very, very, very Christmas role. already. It's like a swear word, isn't it, this time of year? I know. <laughs> but it has to be done because if we don't get a booking in soon, then we won't get any of the nice places. And Christmas to me is is one of the best events that we plan alongside our um, yearly sales kickoff event, which we've just done last Friday. So I like to try and keep all of the events different and fresh each time so that we're not doing the same thing because the guys are looking forward to it. They're quite competitive. So it's trying to find something that will keep them engaged as well and having fun at the same time. Love it. Where was your event on Friday? We went to Thorpe Park. We took 22 of us in total and it was literally like herding cats. They ran through the gates of Thorpe Park with their tickets and that was it. Then I was trying to arrange with everybody where we were meeting for lunch. As the day went on, it was trying to get everybody back together so that we could actually get on the bus back home. So it was a really, really good day, though. I had many thank yous for that one. So it was good, as you good. should, rightly so. And I, I love that. I love the fact that you were so proactive and used so much initiative because it takes balls um, to use a very masculine term, but it takes balls to go to a director and say, there's a better way of doing this. And here's a proposal. And four pages is very in-depth as well. You know, that's a lot of words to, to pen down. So firstly, kudos and hats off to you for taking that initiative because without that I doubt you'd be sitting where you are but also at the same time for recognizing that actually you're not ready for that step at the moment I've known so many people in their careers who I've followed which was some of the inspiration for me starting this business who were office managers and they were let go by their businesses and then I was brought in and they took too much on they said yes we're yes people a lot and they took too much on and they fell at the first second third hurdles because there wasn't the support internally it wasn't just you know down to them I look at all the factors but a lot of people say yes and and it's actually too much and again kudos to you for saying yeah I'll take this HR side of the role on but I've done the research and this is the course that I need to to couple and to to caveat and go along with that and you say it's kind of them, but actually, I think rightly so. They should because, sorry, BT Local Business and JTalk, but people and businesses should be funding our learning and development because it is better for the business. They get the results um, just as much as you do in terms of personal and professional development. They get the results in the business and you wouldn't be able to support that business properly without it. So 
I'm I'm really you know thrilled to hear that you have taken such initiative in well throughout your career since you've been at JTalk and that you're being recognized for it as well it doesn't always happen so well done to you. I think it was about having that confidence HR is such a big topic and to make sure that I was looking after both the business's interests but also my fellow employees I felt that I couldn't just take it on without having some kind of background or foundation knowledge we do have an HR partner that we use that does all of our letters for us but it was about having that confidence to actually ring them and say this is what's playing out how do I deal with it so it meant that I could do that far better and for the business and for the employees that were involved because I actually had a little bit of background knowledge into it and then I expanded it and I did the second year as well so I've now got my level five um level seven I'm not looking at doing yet that's that's another 18 months learning and I don't know mm. you know it's also going back to education when you've been out of education for so long to suddenly go back to education and having to write these reports and write explain your business and go through a whole interview process but looking at it from each side as well and the different steps of it it was so interesting but it gave me the confidence to be able to do what I do and to be able to recruit people for my team and looking at the business as a whole it changes your whole perspective you know, it takes away from an employee's black and white vision of how they think HR is to actually what it does involve because there's so much more behind the scenes. Yeah, there really is. And it's, you know, as with the office manager role now that the two overlap a bit where culture and well-being and engagement and all these different, you know, terms that we're hearing so much more about now, particularly since COVID, are very much part of those roles and it's great that you've got the two because you're probably far more in control than if you were just in one or the other so hopefully that that um, lends a hand in in how you manage it. How many people are in your office then that you look after and tell us more about JTalk what does the business do? So JTalk is a BT local business with the home counties north there are 30 other BT local businesses around the country. So we effectively are a franchise of BT. We all have BT employee numbers. We have access to the BT systems. We proactively go out to current BT customers, those that have maybe had BT services in the past, those who have never had BT services and look at telecommunications for their offices that includes um, business grade internet services, mobile solutions, cloud telephony, which at the start of the pandemic, all of a sudden, everybody needed it because everybody suddenly had that requirement to work from home. So in effect, whilst COVID was absolutely terrible, in some ways for us as a business, it was actually a really good thing because everybody needed us. Although, you know, there were only four of us working a lot of the time during COVID, we had to furlough a lot of people, but we were still going all of the time because there was always somebody that needed diverts placed or what were they going to do next? And they needed to get things in place quite quickly to allow their workforce to work from home. So our role effectively is to offer that solution to customers. We cover a patch going from Milton Keynes all the way down to Colchester in Essex. So we take those orders that our lovely field team go out and get and place them onto the BT systems. We currently have approximately 40 staff 
and six of those are mine. They're the admin team. They're the ones who do the important thing and get those orders onto the BT systems. We have a field team who go out and see the customers and deal with the more complex solutions and sell things as a whole. And our desk team who are the ones who are proactively trying to make those calls out to our customers, offering them better solutions or looking at ways that actually we can save them money. Because that's the other side of coming out of COVID is that a lot of people now are very money conscious about what they're spending money on. There are still people making redundancies and the cost of living crisis in general now, businesses are, are looking very much at what they're spending and where they can cut costs. So it is about us looking and helping them to see what solution we can provide for them that works for them as a business, but also means that they can save those costs that they need. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that because it is important to recognise that not every business flopped and failed during COVID. I heard so many, you know, live at the time, so many businesses were thriving because of it, because, you know, you think about Zoom, which we're using right now to record, mm -hmm. record this pod. I was using Zoom before COVID here, just here and there for webinars and things. And my goodness, didn't Zoom pop on the market at the time and Teams and all this kind of stuff. So, it really wasn't all doom and gloom, I don't think. And it's important to still acknowledge that. So um, what is your background prior to being in the admin team seven years ago at JTalk? What was your background prior to that? And what do you enjoy the most about your current role of being in an office management position in general? I never really had a plan as to where my career was going to go. I moved out of home when I was 18. I had to get a job to pay the bills. And so I essentially took jobs that just covered the bills. The majority of them were admin roles. I've worked for the registrar's department of the Bank of England. I have worked for pharmaceutical companies. I've worked for the Ministry of Agriculture. There were lots of different roles. Some of them were agency roles, but it was all just about making sure that I could pay the bills. Then I had a family, so I've got two children who are 19 and 21. So everything then was about working around them and what fitted in with doing school runs, making sure that they could go to the after school club. So I've been an online shopper for one of the large supermarkets starting at five o'clock in the morning, working through until you know nine o'clock in the morning or later if it was term time. I've worked in domiciliary care, just in the office, not as um, a carer. I can't do that. That's just not in me. So I've never really had a direct plan as to what I ever, ever wanted to do. Then starting here at JTalk, again, it was just starting in the admin team. And I was quite happy with that. I was like, admin's fine. I can do that. I know what I'm doing. I can talk to customers. It's absolutely fine. But as time's gone on, and after putting in that document to my directors, there was that little spark in me that thought, actually, maybe I could make more of this. But there was another part of me was like, no, just keep your head down. Just do what you're doing. You're absolutely fine. You don't need to do anything else. And then I think July 2019, when I was asked to take on the HR side and going to college and getting back into education, all of a sudden I could actually see that this was my time and I could make a career out of this and now being in the role that I'm in I love the 
the mixture of things that I do there are no two days that are the same there are some days where we're busy with orders so I'm back doing what I was doing when I first started issuing orders onto the systems or you've got customers that have been disconnected and you're trying to get them reconnected and routing them through to the right people or it could be the day before an event or the day of an event where everyone in the office is like a kid on the last day of term and they're just so excited about what they're going to do and reining that in and I think now I'm just beginning to find my feet and see that I have got a career now that I never thought back when I was 18 and just moved out of home that I would ever have. It sounds like there's something always holding you back a little bit there. What is it that you find tough to tackle in this role? Me. I am my biggest obstacle. I suffer massively from imposter syndrome and it's something that I'm learning how to deal with. I've just started some coaching uh, for my role, which has been it's been like a weight's been lifted because actually just talking to somebody and working through the issues that I might be facing at that time. So my biggest one that we're dealing with at the moment is being able to say the word no. As you say, you know, office managers, we are people pleasers and we like to say yes, we like to take it on, but it gets to a point where you are at full capacity and you actually can't say yes anymore. But it's about how you say no and the reasons why you say no and it identified things that I could actually ask my team to pick up for me so that I wasn't taking it all on and following on from my coaching session I had a meeting with them and we went through it and they were so pleased because there were things that they wanted to do that I maybe hadn't wanted to let go of so it was a real collaboration between us all that actually is working out for everybody in that they are now taking on a little bit of extra responsibility. It's something that I can watch sort of in the background, but it's not something that I necessarily have to deal with now. And I think it's just getting over that voice that keeps on in my little ear going, no, no, you can't do that. And it it is, that is the biggest, my biggest obstacle is me and trying to work that out. But it's something I will get there. I'm not there yet. And that's the important thing that I recognise that I'm not the finished article and that I will get there. It's just I'm on that journey to being able to say no and to be able to work the best that I can for both the business and for me. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Imposter syndrome is something that I think appears in everybody at some point in their life, personally, professionally. And it does get to some of us more than others. And I think you're absolutely right the moment you recognize with any with any type of your personality that holds you back or that causes you stress or issues because sometimes it's very much about us and our behaviors to something rather than the thing that's happened itself it's our response to that which is based off all sorts of things like our values and our upbringing and our principles and our morals and all this kind of thing what we value more than we don't and so on and so forth but imposter syndrome is can be really debilitating right at times um can and it can lead you to procrastinate and it can lead you to get into a little bit of a downward spiral like I've I suffered from it really badly I mean you can imagine with this business having been an office manager for 14-15 years essentially prior to starting this out you can imagine the amount of times I'm sitting at a dining room table in a crappy dining room chair when I first started going 
no, I can't do this. And I would just apply for random jobs here and there that were office management ones. And then they'd call me and I'd be on the phone interviewing and going, yeah, I've just started this business. So I'm going to see how that goes. And I'd basically can the interview on the phone, knowing that that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go back to work. I wanted to make this business work. But at that, in that moment, I, well, I went applying for jobs because there would just be times, you know, I'd have a bad call with someone I did a cold, cold call to and I think no can't do this go back to the drawing board kind of thing but also with the course when I was writing the office management course that was my worth thinking no I can't I can't get an accredited course out there with almost 20 years experience at this point in office management thinking no I can't do this and the course is going really well and it's it it, it really it took me two plus years to write that course because of imposter syndrome pick it up and I'd close it down again so yeah, but but at the same time, I think, like you say, it's recognizing it and figuring out a way to navigate around it. And when you get there, and no one is the finished article, everybody's still evolving and learning and adapting. But and it, and I think the moment you stop, everybody can improve, improve, and every day is a new day kind of mentality. Um, I always think to myself and tell my son, if we're better tomorrow than we were today, that's all we can strive for, um, in terms of us as humans and being kind and all that kind of stuff. But you know it really can get to you can't it how do you maybe just a quick tip to share with anybody listening to this because I'm sure lots of other people suffer from it but how do you deal with that in the moment how do you recognize that's when it's happening and how do you flip it to try and convince yourself like I I know what my coach said to me at the time when I was struggling but what what do you use what do you do I have to take a step back for a moment just to allow myself some time to breathe. So not necessarily a physical step back, but almost like a mental step back to look at the situation and try and understand why in my head I'm saying I can't do this. Because rationally, I know that I can, but it's about turning that little voice off and sometimes just taking that five minutes to go and make a cup of tea or a five minute walk around the block or a 10 minute walk around the block just to clear your head, take that little step back. And then you can look at the situation again afresh because very often the situation actually feels worse in your head than it actually is because you suddenly put up all of these barriers as to why you can't do it or why it wouldn't work. But actually taking that step back or talking to somebody and talking it through with them actually kind of turns that whole scenario around and gets that little voice in your head going, yes, you can do it. Absolutely, you can do it. There's no need to think that you can't. So it is very much about just taking that little step back physically or mentally. Yeah, absolutely. My coach at the time, and I've hung on to this in many aspects of my life, not just with imposter syndrome sometimes, but it said to me, where's the proof that you can't? I like and I, I just thought that is it. So every time I'm about to launch something new or like even with this podcast, I had it a little bit with that and it's more time that held me back to be missing anything else. But it's, oh, can I really do this? And you'd wake up at night thinking, mm, I don't know if I can, I don't know if it will be a success or whatever. But actually success didn't matter to me. It was more about the platform for office managers as to why we did it to to give more space for office managers and to share more knowledge and advice and experiences and to stop people feeling isolated so when I realized that but also who's telling you you can't where's the proof that you can't do it there wasn't any 
there wasn't any proof that I couldn't teach this course. There wasn't any proof that I couldn't do this business. There was a whole lot of passion and hope and drive and ambition. And that's all that it needed. But yeah, I, I think it's a very powerful one to just say, who's telling you you can't do it? Where's the proof? Where is the evidence that you cannot do this? And if there isn't any, that's just your head talking. Like you said, that's that mental bit where you step back and go, mentally step back. Is there any proof? No. Then shut the hell up, Hannah, and get on with it. <laughs> exactly that. Excellent. I think that's a really important one to, to have addressed. So thank you. Our tip for this week's episode is related to health and safety again. As promised in the last episode with Stephanie Drew, I'm going to be sharing a couple more tips over the next few episodes around health and safety. This one is about driving for work. If you have anybody who drives regularly for work, at least here under the HSE law in the UK, you need to make sure that you are covering them in relation to health and safety support. Driving to and from work excludes to and from their usual place of work. So let's say, for example, you have an office based in London and they drive from home to that office each day. It excludes that journey or to and from the train station to then get the train to their London office. It excludes that journey. But anything outside of that regular trip, that usual place of work, where they're driving, for example, going to the airport to get on a plane, to go on a business trip, going to a meeting by car, going to a train station to get a train, for example, maybe they're going from London to Scotland for a meeting. That whole journey will count as a business trip. And so the driving element is key. What you need to do is make sure that you're getting driver checks in place. And these can be done on the government website. If you look at the portal for more information, everything is in there. But also if you Google HSE driving for work, you'll find the legislation and the forms that you can use to fill in. Once you've got their driving license number and some other information from them, you'll be able to do checks to make sure that they are good to, to drive for work. For example, they haven't got bans or anything else on their license. Um, they haven't got a, a provisional license. They've got a full clean license, for example. And you'll be able to do checks on their car if you don't have grey fleet, i.e. company cars within the business. So you'll want to make sure that they've got a valid MOT, tax and also business insurance covered on their personal insurance policy. Usually insurance companies these days don't charge any extra to have business insurance covered. So when you're doing your own car insurance, you may know it has something like social and domestic um, or leisure only. And then there is a box where you can tick business and social and domestic and leisure. It's, it's that one that needs to be checked for people who may ad hoc drive for work to make sure that they are covered. Put a tracker in place that you can check it for all your staff. So maybe if you're doing the expenses or you can talk to accounts who are flag anybody to you that's claiming mileage, for example, tell them at inductions when you're getting new people on board and put it in your policies that you need to know if they are going to be driving for work, excluding to and from their usual place of work and get that process in place to keep people safe. So leading nicely on from imposter syndrome to winner of the 2022 Hybrid Office Manager of the Year Awards at last uh, award at last year's Office Manager Awards. How did that feel, Stephanie? And what was the response like from your colleagues? I 
know you've entered an award again this year and I read something in your application which I'd love you to talk about as well in a moment but yeah what was the reaction from you and your colleagues like? My first reaction was utter disbelief my friends who had come with me were sat there saying to me it's you it's you and again that little voice in my head going no it's not you it's not you and my name was called and I didn't know what to do <laughs> and my friends like go on go you need to go I honestly didn't even know what I said that day it wasn't until I got sent a video that I actually heard what I'd said um I was really really taken aback I thought of all the people that have entered that award why would it be me I don't do anything different to anybody else and again it's tr when you're writing that application and trying to put into words what you do and why you think you should win that award sometimes being our own champion is the hardest thing to do we know what we do but actually putting it into words and trying to say exactly what it is you do and why you think that you are the winner for that award I found really really difficult so to have my name called out was the best feeling in the world once I'd got over it. In fact, I went home and cried because it was just, it was just Did all you? so much. Yes, because I never thought I would win it. Never mm. in a million years did I think that it would be my name that was called. And it, I kind of held off entering this year because again, that little voice going, well, you won it last year. You don't want to do it again. There's, there's no reason why you would win it again so what's the point in entering and you don't want to taint the win from last year and then I thought no hang on a minute it doesn't matter I just need to be my own champion and put myself forward again yeah. the response from my colleagues they were so so pleased for me and coming home and they were all messaging me that night saying, we haven't heard from you, how have you got on? So I was just sending them pictures of the award saying, I'm bringing it home. And it, so they were really, really pleased. It was lovely, I have to say. You know, my directors were so unbelievably kind and um, they were really chuffed. It was a bit of a, a bragging thing when guests came in from BT going, we've got the hybrid office manager of the year. Uh, when I was doing calls uh, with other teams from BT and they were asking what good thing has happened to you this week and I put on oh I won an award that I was nominated for by a customer and the reaction from the wider BT community as well was actually really lovely so from other local businesses and from BT colleagues it it really boosted my confidence and stopped that little inner voice for a while as to you know look at what you've achieved for something that I never thought I would do I wouldn't ever normally have put myself forward for an award well I hope for more than a while because hopefully you've got that trophy sat on your desk so that you always look at it as a reminder to stop that inner voice but can I be really dark and say that I love the fact that you cried when you got home I take great satisfaction in that <laughs> is that really sick <laughs> now I sat in my hot tub and I just thought what on earth has happened over the last 24 hours mm. and it just I sat on my own my husband was working in the house and I sat and I cried mm. just that Happy I think I was they were I was so overwhelmed and mm. I couldn't I couldn't show it that night or even the following morning it wasn't until I had that little bit of space on my own 
that it was like that really did happen I really did win and so yeah I sat and cried <laughs> it's, it's funny because I do often joke and say that it's my favorite thing that people get up on stage and cry but obviously even hearing about people crying after still gives me great joy and it's not it's not because I like people crying well I do kind of like people crying when it's happy tears because that means you know the amount of work and I won't go on about it too much but the amount of work that goes into those awards trying to get people to nominate other people trying to get people to enter and fill in the form and getting the judges on board and training them in how to do it and their time and effort and then all the stuff that goes on as you can well imagine behind the scenes our side to run that ceremony um sell the tickets get the sponsors you know it's such a huge amount of work and so regardless I suppose but at the same time along with all of that to see people meeting the objectives of the award which is to recognize reward and celebrate office managers all around the world that recognition and that reward that that is given even if you are you know an entrant a finalist whatever you you've still got that recognition you've still got that reward to a degree because it should be self-satisfying doing it but to see people celebrated on that stage which is what happened to you and your friends sort of pushing you up, which is very typical. People often just sit frozen and <laughs> I end up seeing the videos after because I can't obviously see everyone in the room and people kind of shoving their friend or family member up going, it's you, go, go, is just so joyous for me and the team to see. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah, as I said, there's something that happened off the back of that. You were contacted, you know where I'm going with this? I was, so I was, after my college course had finished, when I'd done the level five, our college tutor asked us to keep her in the loop as to what was going on with our careers. You know, if we changed jobs, if we got another job in HR or our career was progressing. I'd sent her an email saying that I'd, I was a finalist for the awards. And she, was, she asked me to keep her in the loop, let her know what was going on. So as soon as I'd won, I sent her a photo of the trophy and said, look, I got it. I've done it. And she invited me into college to speak to her class. And that was a real moment of, wow, look at what I've achieved. I mean, my trophy is brilliant. It's on my windowsill. I look at it every day. But to actually have someone outside of work, somebody who I really looked up to, who supported me massively during the course, when I had those moments where I thought I can't do it, to actually go and speak to another cohort of adult learners that are going through this HR qualification and to show them actually what can happen and to show them how my career has progressed from being that person who just gone, yeah, okay, I'll do the HR role and taking on that course to actually now I feel like I have a full career and that I'm flourishing and that I'm doing well and that it's the role is changing and growing with me and that, that was a real real moment for me and I was so chuffed going in there the scariest thing I've ever done probably like you when you're stood up that first day doing the office management course or at the awards and standing in these expectant faces looking at you for what you're going to say it was terrifying but exhilarating at the same time and I just felt so proud of myself for what I'd achieved and being able to share that with those learners and 
telling them about the office management group as well if they didn't have an HR team behind them and about looking at it and joining because of all the templates that you've got on the site. So it was about broadcasting you guys as well, but also about going, look, look what I've won and this is what I've done. So that was a real moment for me. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing, sharing about us as well. That's always much appreciated. <laughs> sharing is caring, people. Um, yeah, I mean, it it is daunting. I I don't get nervous anymore. The amount of times I've got up on stage in front of tens, now hundreds of people, it, it doesn't... Um, intimidating I still get a little bit of nervous butterflies but it's it's the good stuff I think it's the adrenaline going that I need to get me up there but um I remember when I first started training new intakes like new joiners and we had this kind of tiered seating thing in the company that I was the office manager for and we would get maybe 10 to 30 joiners a month depending on what was going on so we do a sort of monthly induction and that I remember being really scared about because I didn't know the office too well at that point. I didn't know the slides that well at that point. And it was really quite intimidating. But then I, again, was told something, which is you are very often the only expert in that room who knows what it is you're going to say and need to say. No one ever knows what's written on your script or wherever else. So if you screw it up, no one probably knows. Just write it out. Like singer-songwriters, when they sing their first song on stage, if they get a lyric wrong, no one knows because it's the first time that song's out there. <laughs> so, although with social media these days, I expect it's, uh, expect it's a little bit different. But So can you now share something, please, from your office manager diary or one of our you-won't-believe-it-but moments? Oh, I had to think about this one. But it was before I was here at JTalk and I was working for a domiciliary care company. I was the only person in the office that day. We'd just moved into a new serviced office. It was out on an industrial estate. There was only two other tenants in the building. And I'd gone to go to the loo and I'd locked the door behind me, left my phone, my bag, everything in the office, gone down the stairs to the loo, came back up, unlocked the door and the door wouldn't open. I was literally in panic mode because there was nobody else. The car park was empty. The guys in the recording studio didn't often come in until later in the day. There was no one in the other domiciliary care company downstairs. And I had this massive panic because I couldn't answer the phone. I didn't have a phone on me. I literally had a set of keys. I had to go down to the builder's yard that was behind us and ask one of the big burly men to come up and try and unlock the door for me so I could just get in. I had no way of getting home. I had no way of contacting yeah, my off. children, nothing. I don't drive. I was literally alone on this industrial yeah. estate. It was one of the worst but funniest moments of my life when my friendly building contractor managed to get me back into the office and I have never left so quickly with all my belongings making sure that the phone was forwarded to my mobile so that I didn't have to stay there a minute longer <laughs> oh my goodness did he have to break in he did he did he had to almost take the lock out of the door so that I could get back in but oh no terrifying at the time but looking back mm. on it it was hilarious when I rang my colleague who had been out all day to tell her what had happened. And she was trying really hard not to laugh at me. She was trying to be so sympathetic and it just didn't work. <laughs> so we both just laughed. 
<laughs> I remember moving into my new house last January and I because we were in a home before that the door didn't lock automatically behind you. it was like I, I I call it like the American home so the front door doesn't lock you have to lock it manually so I got used to that and here it's you pull the door behind you and it locks and I left without my keys to go and get cash for these guys that were dropping off my sofa because <laughs> they only accepted cash delivery to walk up to the cash machine up the road with the dog and um came back and I was like oh shit I have locked myself out the guys turned up couldn't get the sofa in because I couldn't get in <laughs> I had my phone on me luckily but the, so they had to put my sofa in like February maybe it was at this time I don't know on my uh, front lawn and I just sat on it with my dog until the locksmith turned <laughs> <laughs> oh like, oh my god yeah it was the scariest thing, I think, because there was no one else around either, mm-hmm. other than luckily this uh, building contractor. But it was the worst moment of my life. I was planning how I was going to get home, how how I was going to tell anyone. Was I going to have to go and knock on a door somewhere and say, can I borrow your phone? Yeah. I just didn't have a clue. Brilliant. I'm sure there's many times we've, uh, as office managers, I've probably done it actually, where you leave your access card and you're doing like a late night move or something and you can't get back in and all sorts. So yeah, I'm sure you are not alone. Maybe uh, maybe a little bit different because it's keys and you had to break in, but uh, there we are. So actually it's reminded me, I had a call from one of the partners at the company. They were one of my clients that I worked for for about five years and last year, I had a call from him and he'd been out drinking and um, he'd locked himself out. He'd gone into the office to get his stuff, went to the toilet and the toilets are outside of the access control door and locked himself out. And he phoned me and he was like, Hannah, is there anything you can do? It's like half ten and I was like, absolutely nothing right now. I'll call, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then somehow he managed to get back in. But um, yeah, (laughs) you're in Mayfair. I'm in South End in Essex. I don't really know how to help you from here, but thanks for calling. <laughs> Good luck. I love, I love the fact that he rang you after all that time that you know you haven't been working with him, and he still rang you asking you. Oh how no, to I was you. still working. Yeah, I was still working with him at the time. I'd been there for five years, so um, it was nearing the end of of my time there. But yeah, he still rang me. Oh dear. Anyway, all these stories is why we ask it. So. Tell me now, what do you value the most in your role there? I value the people that I work with. I think having a good team around you, having a good senior management to a team that you can go to and ask, challenge. I think that is the most important thing in the role. It's no good being an office manager or the HR manager and having someone dictate to you how that role should look or not having the team around you that you can go to. So I am incredibly lucky that the team of ladies that I work with on my admin team are so good. They will see if something needs doing sometimes before I do and they will support me with it. Or I can go to them and say, ladies, I really need some help from you guys on such and such and they will pick it up. They are an incredible team. My senior managers from the directors, the sales manager, again, I feel comfortable enough to go to them and ask a question or offer to do something or challenge a decision that's been made, even if that challenge is is rejected. But it's the fact that there is 
such a culture in here that you can go and do that. And I think that's the most important thing, because if you feel that you can't go and ask that question or go and challenge a decision, then the role either isn't for you or it's not maybe the best place to be. Yeah, I fully agree. It's it's so challenging, isn't it? Like you say, when you haven't got that support around you, people people make a job in, in most companies, right? I don't think there's any unless you're kind of a lone taxi driver or um you know a, a delivery driver but still there's people somewhere around that business so it does make a huge difference and I think when you're in your when you're in an office management role or even in HR when you're dealing with so many stakeholders everybody essentially internally and a lot of people externally that you're accountable for in some way shape or form if they're making your job challenging and difficult and miserable every day it's not going to be the same so it makes a huge difference I'd agree so can you share now maybe a top tip or two on um, areas within the office management role for our fellow office manager listeners, please, on how they can nail their job? It's definitely all about organisation. And there's probably a running theme in this, but I do love a good to do list. Half the time I know that it won't get finished that day, but I like to have that physical list that I've written and seeing things ticked off. I think is, is really important. Running events, leading up to the event, I think a to-do list is really, really important. Making sure that have you got disclaimers signed if you're going to have them jumping off um, water parks or big inflatables in the middle of a lake. If it's making sure that we've got the right number of hotel rooms booked for a Christmas do, making sure that we've actually got the event tickets through, finalizing numbers and it's just all about that whole organization be it a tick list be it a to-do list on your emails however you feel you organize it but that to-do list I think we kind of live and die by it as office managers because it's the most important thing I know and as many other office managers will know that you might have a list of things in priority order but then something will happen that all of a sudden overtakes that and you have to deal with that first. It's also about learning to say no and saying, no, I can't do that at the moment because, but it could be that I can ask so-and-so to pick that up for you. It is very much, I think, the whole organization piece. I try and think of myself as a swan. It's all gliding on the top, but underneath those little legs, are paddling away to make it all look seamless so that everybody when they turn up at an event thinks that it's all gone swimmingly even when maybe something has gone horribly wrong in the background or you suddenly realize that you haven't got enough hotel rooms or the tickets haven't quite arrived and you've got to go and pick them up so yeah it's all about that organization and that to-do list love it and that's one analogy comes up so much as you probably heard <laughs> in other pods it does come up a lot but it's it's bang on on accurate for these roles so so a final question from me then, Steph, where are you heading? What is in the future for you career-wise? I think I've still got a lot to do here. I'm still taking on new challenges here and I love a new challenge. My directors know that if there's a challenge to be had, it will be me. Um, I will take that on. And I think growing the role even more and expanding on it and making it even more my own than I already have, I think one dream that I do have which possibly won't happen because of the age of the children now but I would like to go out to Canada and join 
my cousin's business and expand her HR presence from her business that would be a really lovely thing and manage her office for her from there but at the moment I have no plans to go anywhere it's all about staying here and taking on the challenges and growing my role and my team love that and you've got two new admins coming so you've got plenty of work to do taking on one new staff can be challenging let alone two so um it's that it's that moment isn't it where it's really hard when you're hiring because it takes up time to hire then there's the three month period of bedding them down and handing over and training and everything and then you feel the relief and the oh okay this is working good okay we've got more support but there is a a moment before that that it takes its toll it is because it's also a role that there is no actual training plan for so we have to create our own there are certain bits that we have to do for BT from a legal perspective so that we can actually use their systems but it's very much a job that you learn as you go so it's trying to explain that to new starters as well and saying to them look this is the role that we want you to do you can come and sit and have a look at it and see if it's something that you'd like to do but please understand that a there are a huge number of acronyms that you're going to learn for BT products but also there is no set training schedule and it will be what comes in as to what you get trained on and whilst we try and group it together for people it's not something that you can just train for in our role so it I actually really like the new starter process and have them coming in and you see that little look of fear in their eyes when they start hearing all these acronyms and then give them a few months and all of a sudden they're turning around and saying yes I know what that is and that's a really I love the satisfaction of that. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's training and developing others, isn't it? And something you'd mentioned earlier about, you know, delegating your tasks. It's so important as a line manager and, and in order for you to grow in your role and take more on to delegate and pass other things on. And I don't think there's anything more satisfying than seeing that either. So wholeheartedly agree. Thank you so much, Steph, for being on the Office Manager Diaries with me. I hope you've enjoyed it. And thanks again for giving up your time. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. It's been lovely to talk to you and to get to know you a bit better as well today. <laughs> this episode of the Office Manager Diaries is sponsored by the Office Management Awards, a global awards programme aimed at recognising, rewarding and celebrating office management professionals around the world. Tickets to this year's ceremony are on sale now, taking place in London on Thursday the 15th of June. For more information, go to www.theofficemanagementgroup.com forward slash the hyphen awards and we really hope to see you there.